Sean, you're back from the Adirondacks. I read the story, by the way. Terrific work on the Ukrainian national team. What a story they are. I mean, it is really remarkable what a story they are. See, I can still write, Dan. I know you, you don't think I can. Because, you know, I used to be senior writer before you, Dan. I don't know if you remember that. I do. But you created the position. I, I did. I created it for myself. And then I moved on from it and bequeathed it to you. But it was a great story. Dmitry Kristich was fantastic and and kind of walking me through what they're doing. And then, then the stories of the players and how they feel like that's the best contribution they can make to their country, right? They're not taking up arms. They're They're showing the rest of the world that life goes on and they need to save Ukrainian hockey. There's no money left. All the money's going toward the war and liberating their country. Um, the passion was unbelievable. Like I've told a few people, it's not my story. I just got out of the way and let them tell it. So mm -hmm. I, I take very little credit, but thank you for the compliment, but it's their story to tell. And, and I just try to stay out of the way as much as humanly possible, well, but that's... I hope you go read it because it's really good. Um, and it's really important. Well, that's some of the best writing. When you stay out of the way and let the people tell the story, right? I mean, yeah, maybe that, maybe you could learn that. I, oh, all right. That was a little dig. We didn't need to go there. Wow. Wow. All right. Anyway, uh, let's turn to man. That hurt right there. Let, let's turn our focus because I. Oh, uh, you know, I'm kidding because I love right. Dan? Yeah. I don't know if I can even segue now, to be honest with you. But anyway, I will. How about that? Let's. So the New Jersey Devils. That's where I really wanted to go here. Um, well, before we get to the Devils, Louis DeBrusque. Edmonton Oilers TV analyst. He's going to be joining us here shortly. We'll talk about the Oilers, a few other things with him. So listen for that. But the New Jersey Devils, Sean. So last night, we're recording this Wednesday afternoon, Tuesday night. They're playing the Vegas Golden Knights. And, and I go to the game, but not to work the game. I brought my son, a friend of his and a friend of mine, right, to the game. My, my younger one, he's eight years old. His friend is, is uh, seven, right? These two, the seven-year-olds was first ever game. These two had the time of their lives. I tell them before the game, got to watch 86 on the Devils, Jack Hughes. Got to watch nine on the Vegas Golden Knights, Jack Eichel, right? They had the time of their lives. They went crazy when Dougie Hamilton scored with a minute 10 left in regulation to go to send it to overtime. They went nuts when Dougie Hamilton scored the, the OT winner. And the building, why did they go nuts? Because the building was electric. It was exciting. The New Jersey Devils are back. And having been there, sat in the stands, not in the press box, you really get to feel it. This team is fun to watch. And remember, they went through that stretch where they were 1-7-1 and one from December 9th through the 28th. And we were like, Oof, maybe the bubble burst here. They're 9-1-2 since. They're electrifying all over the ice. And, and I just, I wanted to start there because, Sean, like, the New Jersey Devils for years have kind of been in the abyss, right? They had that run in 2012. Taylor Hall had the MVP season. They went to the playoffs. But they've kind of been in the abyss since that run in 2012. They are one of the most exciting teams to watch. And I had two kids, eight and seven, who were absolutely going nuts at this game. And they're, they're hooked for life now. You don't say hello. I was at the game last night, Dan. You don't stop by, say hello to your podcast co-host. I had no shamed? idea you were there because you don't communicate with me except for this time of the week. Yeah, you're shamed. I was there with my wife and another couple, um, so no kids in tow. Uh, they were also going crazy. Um, my wife had a fantastic time. You know what it is? A, they don't give up the Devils. Like, that's the difference from the team in the past. Like, they have this swagger now, this confidence that they can win, that they can steal points. They did it out West, you know, when they were, when they were um, traveling on the West coast, right. They stole points repeatedly um, to come home successful and, and to, you know, continue their road dominance, but they, you know, they pull the goalie and you're like, Oh yeah, last, last ditch effort. And, and all of a sudden bang, they score a little tick off the, it looked like it was a little tick off the shin pad of the Vegas player, but then in overtime that play, that Jack Hughes makes to free the puck up and, and get it to, to Dougie and then bar down. Like, you know, I was telling my wife as we were walking out, we we're going down the elevator and I was like, I always miss this because I'm always writing and I get out late and we walk to the parking lot. We parked really far away and it reminded me of like, I started covering the devils in 94. It reminded me of those, that, glory time of when the devils were hot when people cared about them a lot when the building was always electric like that's what last night was like and it, it warmed my heart because 
they deserve that. They deserve this adulation. The team that they've put on the ice, it's fantastic. Like there's no, you look at them and there's no real weakness other than they don't know better. Mm -hmm. And man, maybe that's a strength. Well, it is a strength right now. There's no question about it. But I also touched on them in, in my mailbag this week. I got a question like is Timo Meyer from the San Jose Sharks, you know, a fit for the Devils before the trade deadline? And, and like it's a perfect fit, you know, and, and that's kind of what I wrote. But you think about it, right? This team has the best players are 24 and younger, except really for Dougie Hamilton, right? I mean, they're 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 Hughes, Heeshear, uh, Mercer, Brat. I mean, they're they're loaded with young players. And you're right, they don't know any better. And maybe this won't be their year because they don't know any better, right? I mean, that's that's very reasonable and it's very possible that that's the case. But we're not worried about what's going to happen in April and potentially May. We're worried about right now for the New Jersey Devils. And and I was thinking about it when I got this question about Timo Meyer, trade deadline, Sharks. It couldn't be any more perfect. If you were, I mean, if you think about it, Meyer's 26, he's going to be 27 next season, start next season. He's a goal scorer. He could play. I mean, obviously, he's play on the wing in their top six, right? Put him with Hughes, put him with T-shirt. Didn't matter. I mean, he's a, he's a goal scorer. The Sharks if they're going to move them, they're going to want to move them to a team that has the assets that they can get back to really fuel this rebuild that they're going through. I mean, they need, do you want to put your, do you want to tie yourself into a monster contract for a guy when you're really not going to be a winning team for a couple of years? They did with hurdle. And, and I get that you got to have a few, right? But Meyer could really help them. The devils have the pieces to do that. The only, in fact, I wouldn't trade Luke Hughes, but otherwise there's guys there that you could move. They could help the Sharks right away, and it would immediately help the Devils. The Devils would have to sign him, no question about it. But they got a couple of guys like Eric Howla, who you know would be coming off their books next season to help. And then the cap's supposed to go up, right? So it wouldn't be that huge of a deal. It's a perfect fit for a team that is ready to take off. Timo Meyer is a guy that you know, and he's also learned under elite leadership too and you think about it what who he's had in san jose I, I just think it makes so much sense i don't know how you know these trades the way they go down they're 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 hard i get that but from a, a blimp view here it just makes perfect sense except for the fact that it kills them for the future right you talked about it they need to sign him you know who else they need to sign jesper bratt you know who else they need to sign if they want to keep him and they should because he's been great for them thomas tatar you know who else they need to sign Alternate captain Miles Wood, who's an unrestricted free agent. You know who else they need to sign? Igor Sharangovich. You know who else they need to sign? Boquist, Bastion, Zetterlin, if they want to keep him. And that's just among the forwards. Now you go to the defense. Alternate captain Damon Severson, Ryan Graves, who's been great for them, all need to be signed. Dougie Ham, uh, uh, John Marino on LTIR coming off of it at some point. He's starting to get healthier. All these guys need to be signed. Like, and you're just going to drop a six, eight million dollar player into that mix and say, I think we're good. We'll we'll make the cap work. But you don't have to sign Tatar if you get Meyer. You don't have to. You can you don't have to real. I mean, Sharon Govich isn't going to cost you that much on the cap. Some of these guys are Boca's not going to cost you that much. Bastion's not going to cost you that much. You know, they're good players. They're role players. Not going to cost you that much. Meyer obviously is going to come with a big ticket. But Howla can go and Tatar can go and you replace them with Meyer. The cap goes up a little bit. You're good. Why? Why? Like, I like. I I know I'm boiling this down and simplifying this, and it's not simple. And I get that. But to me, it it kind of fits in that way. Like, Hal has been a nice player for them, and obviously Tatar's been a good player for them. Meyer's better than both of those guys. He is. If Tatar, Tatar you get the best out of Tatar right now, doesn't mean you got to resign him. You're getting a better player if you if you get Meyer. And what are you going to surround him with? Because you got to pay Brat. Well, you think they're going to get Brat cheap? No, that look that this Brat is good. Brat's the one that you obviously have to sign, and uh, you know, and he's gonna he's gonna make sizable contract, and he deserves a sizable contract. But there's there's ways to work this deal to where you can get Meyer in there too. Uh, anyway, look, the point I'm making is he fits, and the Devils should be looking for upgrades now, and but but not upgrades just for rental, in and because you don't want to give up assets for a rental. Right now, I think if you're the Devils, I, I don't think that makes sense. But if you can give up assets to get a 26, 27-year-old forward who's going to score 40 goals for you, maybe 50. He's got 28 right now, Meyer. 
on a, on a team that's not so good. It's going to score 40 or 50 goals for you. you. You make that move. Yeah, of course you think about it. I, I just, I, I think all this excitement about it, it has to be tempered somewhat by the finances of it. You, you're going to, you're going to strangle yourself. Like look at the Vancouver Canucks right now. What's Jimmy Rutherford's biggest regret? Well, probably JT Miller's contract. And that he has no wiggle room. Right. For the cap. That's where Tommy Fitzgerald's going to put himself. He's going to put himself in cap hell with a young players, though. That's with what Vancouver has. Players. That's what Vancouver has. Now they can't afford Bo Horvat, who's who's that same type of player. Like you're you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, and at the end you're going to get screwed because you've spent all your money, and all of a sudden you're in a position to do something and you're like, Oh, I'd really like to do that. Like there's that one missing piece next year who I think is going to put us over the top when our windows even more open, but you know what? I can't do it. I, I don't have the money. It's not there. I, I've already spent all my money. I, I went all in with a middling hand instead of waiting until I had pocket aces, but it's not a middling hand. That's the point. It's a really good player you'd be getting in there too. I mean, he's the there's no arguing that it's a good player. <laughs> so it's not middling, but it's it's putting them in a place that they don't need to be right now. All right, financially. So you disagree? Okay, I, I'm just not as enthusiastic. I don't see it as the cure all that everybody else does. Right. I think it comes with some warts. Yeah, it's wonderful to add a 30 goal scorer into your lineup. Every team in the league would love to do it. 50. How many can? Right. No, I understand. I still think the fit is right, and it's something that they absolutely should be looking into. But so the cap situation factors in. I'll get that. I'll give you that. All right, we'll move on from the Devils. All right. How about the Boston Bruins? Let's go there, okay? We know they're good. We could talk all day about the Boston Bruins, and I get that. They're the fastest team in the NHL history to 80 points. They never lose. It's ridiculous. They get to 80 points in 47 games. Two games quicker than anyone else has ever done it. Flyers did it in 49 games in 79-80. The Canadians in 1943-44 did it in 49 games. This team is, they have 14 more points, Sean, than any other team in the league. All those teams that they have 14 more points are in the Eastern Conference as we talk right now. I, I just, I was saying this though the other day, like it, it's funny, right? Like they're doing all these amazing things this season. All it does is get them in. That's all it does. It, it's it, and I don't mean to be ne- like I don't want to create a negativity on this, but all it does is get them in the playoffs. And I keep thinking back, like the Lightning, 2018-19, did all these amazing things, swept in the first round of the playoffs. The Bruins are not the Lightning then. The Lightning then were not ready. They they proved that the Bruins are you know far more veteran laden team and have a been there done that quality about them. But all it does is get them in. Yeah, no, and that's true. And then you look at the you look at the East, and it's just loaded, right? Like maybe that eight spot. You're looking at like a Buffalo. You're looking at a wounded Pittsburgh team. You, uh, the Caps, who have a lot of warts. Like those are the teams that are fighting for that. And maybe you say, well, they they should get by them. But you also said that Tampa Bay should get by, past Columbus, and they didn't. But then, then you get into the, the the meat that's on the bone, right? And you're talking mm-hmm. about a battle-tested Carolina team. You're talking about maybe, you know, a Toronto team that's got a ton of stop, star power. Um, you're talking about Tampa Bay, who's been to the last three finals and, and won two of them. Like, the road doesn't get any easier after that. It, it gets way harder. And, and I don't know, like, as good as this Bruins team is, like, sometimes I look at it and I'm like, how? Like, you understood when Tampa did it, like – stars everywhere um that's not the bruins like their defense is kind of eh, like campus lindholm's been really good charlie coyle you know uh fantastic um i mean charlie mcavoy fantastic but after that it's a little you you wonder what's happening right and then they go deep. They go deeper than maybe any other team in the league. And I think that's where up front. And I think maybe that's where the difference has been because they get contributions from all over the place and, and they do have a, a game breaker in, in Pasternak. But I, I think if you line this team up and the, and the Tampa Bay team that lost to Columbus, I, I think anybody outside of new England would say that Tampa Bay team was a better team. 
Yeah, skill-wise. Skill-wise. No, yeah, skill-wise, no question about it. Obviously, these Bruins have the head for it, I think, because they, you know, they've had a lot of guys who have been around for a while. Yeah. But what you were just talking about is exactly the reason why Jim Montgomery is a coach of the year, why he's the Jack Adams Award winner. And I wrote about I, I got a question about that too in the mailbag. And we, you know, we've talked about this. You know, you sometimes overlook the team that's doing the best for the coach, right? I mean, because we look at like you know, a coach who's come in and fixed things and done things, you know, along those lines as Jack Adams. But everything that Montgomery has done is right for this team. You know, a little bit of a hands-off approach in the room, letting the room take care of itself with a leader like Bergeron, right? That's the right thing to do. Uh, putting lines together that work, but not marrying them himself to them. You know, under like recently they, did a, they had a back-to-back situation where he played – he changed the lines for the second game of the back-to-back reversed everything, you know, moved everything around. Why did he do that? Because he didn't want to be stale. You know, he wanted other guys to get more ice time because they were in a back-to-back situation. This guy might be tired. This guy deserves more ice time playing guys who deserve more ice time. Guy like Craig Smith was really struggling. Now he's playing better. Give him more, you know, rewarding guys for that. It adds incentive. There's no complacency. And I think a lot of that has to do with the coaching job that Jim Montgomery has done here, you know, in Boston, because he has allowed the players the freedom to be themselves and whatnot, as long as they're playing within that structure. But he's rewarding. He's he's not meddling, but tinkering. And it's he's got really good players and the goalie has been excellent, but he is doing the job to keep everything fresh every single day. Yeah, I agree. That's true. And he, he, he salvaged DeBrusque, you know, that, that was a relationship that looked like it was going to end. And, and now, you know, hero of the winter classic and having a, a career year before he got hurt. So he's done a lot of good things, but I will tell you this, if the Buffalo Sabres make the playoffs, Granado's the coach of the year. Like as much as you want to celebrate how great the Bruins are, and it is really hard. Like it's a crime that John Cooper's never really been considered coach of the year since they became good because he's done amazing things with them. Same thing with Bednar and and, and Colorado. Like he should get way more credit than he does, but oh, they're they're superstar powerhouse teams. I could coach them. No, you can't coach them. Like you can't, you couldn't handle the personalities. You couldn't handle the matchups. You, there's no, there's not one part of coaching an NHL team that any of us could do other than filling out the starting lineup and saying, these are the six guys I'm going to have to play <laughs> after that. You're going to get your head beaten in and your doors blown off by the guy across from you who will exploit every little matchup. Yeah. And that's where these coaches are really good and they don't get the credit for. But if this Buffalo team makes the playoffs after what they've been through and the fact that, you know, they have some really good players, but they're not deep their goaltending is suspect at best. If they make the playoffs, that's your coach of the year. Well, I mean, I wouldn't argue with Granado. I, I, I don't think I, I wouldn't be able to put up an argument against him. I would just continue to argue for Montgomery. That would be my my thing, you know, like because of everything he's done in Boston and how he's coached this team and records being broken most likely this season. I, so you you're right. I mean, I, you, you can't argue against Granado if the Sabres are make the playoffs it's just that argument for Montgomery is it stronger than the argument for Granado really is what it would come down to and two deserving guys should both be finalists if that were the case and my vote would go to Montgomery but I think it could be split yeah and and there may be other candidates that come out at some point look I I think Montgomery's going to be there and he should be it is a great great story he's going to coach the all-star game which is coming up next week can't wait to get to Florida by the way buddy and uh you know we're going to do a big story on him Uh, Emily Benjamin our Boston writers uh working on it and and I'm really looking forward to it because his career arc is unbelievable um and and there is no argument against it Uh, you almost wish there were multiple awards right that you could give coaches um but there's not so somebody always gets screwed we talked about it cooper and bednar have been they have been on the short end too many times for what they've accomplished and you're just not going to change the thinking i don't think of the electorate uh they they see it much in the same way they see you know the norris as an offensive award instead of a best defenseman right. award where they see the MVP as best player in the game, not most valuable. Um, and it's become that way over time that a dinosaur like me, who will continue to argue that it is the most valuable player to his team is an outlier. 
it's an outlier to say that John Cooper's the best coach in the league because he coaches one of the best teams. That can't be true. It has to be the guy that salvaged a crappy team and made them good. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that is what we're seeing right now. So anyway, that'll be interesting. I think Montgomery is, is the favorite as we speak. One more thing. Um, before we move on, Sean, I wanted to touch, we were talking about coaching Rick Tockett, Vancouver. There's so much on the bone there that we could get into, but you know what? Let's look ahead, right? I mean, there's so much stuff that has gone on. I'm sure anybody listening has read it about it and heard about it all that stuff. We had a conversation last week with Kevin Woodley, uh, our correspondent in Vancouver. We talked all about it and this was before Bruce Boudreaux was fired, but Rick Tockett's in, they get a win in their first game. Good for them. Five, two win against the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, Sunday, that press conference, I found it to be very interesting. And really, and I wrote about this too, Sean, like what he's up against here in Vancouver is, is, is a lot because in addition to not really knowing who the core of this team is going forward, a captain that's likely going to be traded will be traded. I mean, he's going to be traded in Bo Horvat and a fan base that just loved the guy he's replaced. You know, I mean, they chanted for the guy he's replaced. So it's a lot here for Rick Tockett that he is up against. Nice start. I, I like Tockett's personality for this, though. I think he can handle this. He's like the guy's been through a lot, you know, in, in his life, in his career, in hockey and outside of it. He's there's not much he's going to see in Vancouver that he hasn't seen in other stops along the way in his life. I think his personality is right for this in a Canadian market like Vancouver that has never won, is hungry for it, and yet has a team that really isn't very close at all. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he does for the rest of the season, because I think honestly, I think success for the rest of the season for the Vancouver Canucks is all inside. It's how Rick Tockett builds relationships with the players that he identifies and Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford identify as the guys who are going to be part of this core going forward. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, it already started a, he rode Bo Horvat, like, Oh my God, his, his prime <laughs> like horse, right? Minutes. Like, <laughs> trading we're not trading him like he's he's my key guy he's going to play in every situation uh, you know he's already started the 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 JT Miller reclamation you know saying that he was overused and mm -hmm. had to pace himself instead of questioning maybe his work in the defensive zone his eagerness right. to get back like he gave a reason for it right oh he's playing so many minutes he has to pace himself so you know and then there's Oliver Ekman Larson who was his healthy scratch before he came in they did not have the greatest relationship in Arizona Ekman Larson played the most minutes I think I think he played more minutes than Quinn Hughes had seven or eight shot attempts, like was really active in the game. Like, so some preconceived notions that people had about Tockett, he's already thrown out and it's a really small sample size, but you know, what if they figure out a way to keep Bo Horvat? Like they should, they should try and they should at least tell people that they're going to, they don't help themselves at all by saying, you know what, we're going to trade this guy. It, it's like saying that you're going to sell your car. Yeah. Right? You've, you've knocked money off of it already. You're willing to sell it. You want somebody to come to you and say, I know you don't want to get rid of this car, so I'm going to pay a premium. Like that's where the Canucks should be driving. Oh, we've had a change of heart. We got a new coach. We see what this is. We're going to figure out a way financially to do this. We want to keep them. So now you're going to pay a premium to get them if you want them. Um, so, you know, maybe that works into it. And then the other thing is, look, they, they chanted Bruce's name. And it was awesome. It's one of the best moments of the year, even though it was sad at the same time. And they they love Bruce. Were they in love with him at this point of the season? The season's been a disaster. They were in love with the notion of who Bruce is. And they associated with the way he was being treated, as we all right. did. Yeah. He but was there happiness with the coach? No. Like this, this, this love affair thing that is being suggested doesn't exist. There was a love affair with we are all united and that we hate the way that this man, this hockey lifer is being treated. But was he the coach for the Canucks at that point? He hadn't done what needed to be done. And, and I don't care how much you like a personality of a coach or, or any of those things. There's a right and there's a reason to be unhappy. And I think if he wasn't treated so badly, there wouldn't have been that. Right. Push to celebrate him. Yeah, he was the victim, and you they, they were sell they were all siding with the victim, not the villain. By know? embracing him, they were vilifying right. management. Exactly. Bautakit, though, and the Horvat thing was interesting. 
as you were talking, it kind of, I, 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 didn't, I hadn't thought about this. He did. He played almost 24 minutes in that game against Chicago on Tuesday night, right? I guess if, you, if you're Rick Talk and you're like, I want to keep this guy, I, I don't want to trade him, best thing you could do is play him all you want, right? Like, hey, dude, you're going to stay here. You're going to play, right? Maybe maybe that's – I'm going into this thinking that Rick Tockett is probably just – he's got to keep almost at arm's distance from Bo Horvath, thinking like, I understand you're the captain, but you're not going to be here in six weeks. You know, that maybe it's the other way. Maybe it's all in on Bo Horvat to try to convince him to stay because maybe that is that that is at this point, I think the only thing that would convince other than a contract that makes absolutely no sense, um, you know, that's just Bo Horvat could not turn down. I think that's the only thing the re, a, a, establishing a relationship with talking is the only thing that would convince Horvat to stay at this point. But you as know as well as I do, players can't sign contracts based on who the coach is. Coaches in the NHL just don't. The contract that Bo Horvat's going to sign, I'm sorry, with all due respect to Rick Tockett, it's going to outlast Rick Tockett in Vancouver. Yeah. I, look, how many coaches has Bo Horvat had? He's had three right. in the last <laughs> two years, right? So understandably so, but all he's doing is a he's helping himself win talk it by playing Horvat that much yeah. he's their best player like that's his main job like that's how he stays employed and b you think Jimmy Rutherford minds you think Patrick Alvin minds like a maybe they think about it more and they're like wow look how valuable this player is but all the other GMs that are watching are like he's even better mm-hmm. look look at all the minutes he's playing look at how he's driving play like three weeks of that and his price has gone up. Like you keep riding him like that. It's like showcasing, you know, anything like here's the value in this guy. I'm not going to hide it from you. I'm not going to diminish it because I'm going to lose him anyways. And I need to find these other guys that are going to take those minutes when I eventually lose them. I'm going to put them out there and I'm going to keep putting them out there. And I'm going to say, look, make sure you see this guy. You're not going to miss him because he's playing every other shift. He's playing every situation and he's the most, Visible player on the ice, period. Ah, he's going to the Carolina Hurricanes. You know it. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe he is. All right. Well, let's stay in the Pacific Division and bring in our guest. We were able to talk with Louis DeBrusque, the Edmonton Oilers TV analyst and also father of Boston Bruins forward Jake DeBrusque. Here's that interview with Louis DeBrusque. Louis, thanks for joining us. So you got a team there in Edmonton, six wins in a row, 31 goals in those six wins too. Is this different? Have things changed for the Oilers now? Have they found that consistency or what is it? I I think you're constantly changing over the course of a year. And I do think this, this team has changed a bit. I would say maybe attention to detail um, as far as just everybody playing to their capabilities, really. Um, there have been some changes here, though, some different personnel that's come in and and made some some real big strides and have been a real big punch to the lineup. Guys like Clean Costin from the St. Louis Blues, a trade Kenny Holland made, wanted to get bigger, wanted to have some more size up front, and he's really fit in and is now playing in essentially a top six role uh, with Evander Kane, who was out of the lineup. He came in and really filled a void in that that presence on the back end, Philip Broberg, Evan Bouchard, a young pairing that's still finding their way, but finding more confidence in their game. Um, Vinny DeHarnay, a, a, a six foot seven defenseman that's been on board for this uh, win streak here for Edmonton, you know, has not lost a game in the national hockey league yet just with his play. Um, but simplified plays a very strong, simplified game. And this is a team that number one, wanted to defend better, wanted to play a better defensive game. They knew they could score goals. And now you're starting to see that combination of playing solid defense and still being able to put the puck in the back of the net, which results in wins. Um, you can't overlook goaltending though. Stuart Skinner, when Jack Campbell was struggling with his game, Stuart Skinner came in, held the fort, became the starter for a while. Jack Campbell's won six straight six straight starts that he's had. So when you have two goaltenders that are playing that way, I would say, yeah, everything, all the combinations are coming together. And I think it's a team with a, a nucleus that um, understands the timing of the season and understands they have to start ratcheting things up down the stretch into the playoffs to secure a playoff spot, number one. And then if you want to have any success in the playoffs, you want to hit it um, in stride. And that's their goal this year. Again, to that point, Evander helped out. Evander Kane helped out a lot when he came last year. 
And then he was out with that horrible injury that he had. He's come back. He's got 13 points in 17 games. What is it specifically about him that helps the team and, and maybe helps Connor and Leon in a way that we don't understand? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Connor and Leon are the dynamic duo. I mean, you can put them together anytime you want, but I think what, what Evander Kane, Zach Hyman, um, the emergence of Clean Costin, uh, Kyler Yamamoto, when, he, when he's playing his game, he's injured right now, unfortunately for him, so he's going to be out for a little bit. But when you start to surround good sentiment, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is having a career this year as well, so I don't ever want to leave him out. I always say the big three up front, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, when you start to plug and play really good wingers with those three centermen, you all of a sudden become that, that much deeper. And I think that's what's happened here. Evander Kane, especially coming in last year, provided their number one left winger. Now, I know Zach Hyman plays left wing. He can play left and right, prefers the left-hand side. But Evander Kane was that left winger. You can inject on the line with Connor McDavid. You could put him on the line with Leon Dreisaitl, and he would click. He's a scorer. He's fast. He adds the physicality into the lineup. Those were all dimensions they were missing. Top end winger that comes in with some swagger. And he, he kind of drags guys into the fight with him the way he plays the game. Um, but again, going back to Zach Hyman, who has been unreal this year, already career highs and points for Zach Hyman. Um, he just continues to excel in a position where he's been given more. There's ex more expected of him here in Edmonton. He set a career high last year in goals and points, and he's already exceeded that this year in just over half the season. Um, it's the consistency of his game. Each and every night, you know exactly what you're going to get from Zach Hyman. It's incredible how he comes to the rink each and every night. And although he might get 10 chances and those 10 chances won't go in, his game is almost criticism proof it really is because of the way he plays the game and I think he really does rub off on the rest of the team the way he wins board battles the way he grinds in the offensive zone the way he turns pucks over um it, it's kind of coming together in that regard offense I don't think was ever a problem for this team you know when I look at this team over the last few years they've always been able to put the puck in the net they have the top two point producers in the last seven years one two and Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Nugent Hopkins is now having a career. He's been a real driver this year for the Oilers on his own line and also on the power play where he's just, um, he compliments those other two so well. Three sentiment across the middle that can interchange, go into all different positions, uh, which makes him so hard to defend. But, um, you know, when you, when you start injecting the likes of Kane, Hyman, which were two acquisitions last year, Hyman obviously was a free agent signing. In the offseason, Evander Kane came just after the midway point, and it was an instant boost into their lineup. It was an instant boost in just size and that that physical play that you have to play with down the stretch in the playoffs, but that scoring touch. He, he, I mean, he's a 40-goal scorer, I think, in a healthy year, Evander Kane, playing with the likes of McDavid and Dreisaitl. All right, so, Louie, we're, we're about five minutes into our chat with you here, so by my watch that I'm not wearing, it's time to talk about Connor McDavid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've mentioned uh, him a few times already. A few, but let's dive yeah. in here, okay? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and look, I you talk about him all the time. Why wouldn't you? He's that good. But let's. Can, I wonder if you could put into perspective, uh, a historical perspective, if possible. Just, but you you see him every game. The season he's having, he's on 150 point pace. Uh, the goal pace, I'm not exactly sure where it's at right now, but it's close. If not, a, I think it exceeds a 60 goal pace or it's right around there right at this point. Just from what you see all the time, just put into perspective what you're seeing now from this player. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. It really is. And I, it's amazing because we see them on a regular basis. And I know teams that come in that haven't seen him in a while, haven't seen the team in a while, um, always want to bring up his name and talk about him and for good reason. He, he's doing things in the league right now. We haven't seen the likes of maybe ever, you know, some of the things that he's doing at the speed in which he's doing it. And he's challenging records and putting together a season that is equal to back in the early nineties. I mean, back, you know, you're looking back 92, 93, we talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins, Lemieux, Yager, um, Kevin Stevens were putting up numbers back then that he's starting to compare to. That's how far back you have to go to kind of equal what he's doing in the modern game today, where I believe it's even harder to score points in the National Hockey League. Although offense is up this year and it was up last year, I think the players are figuring it out, which they always do. And then there'll be a shuffle again where defense takes uh, priority and goaltending elevates once again, and it'll push the offense to be that much better again, as it always has in the history of the game. But 
to, to put him in the same sentence as a Mario Lemieux, a Wayne Gretzky, and the players that he's matching and some of the things he's doing, to do it in today's game, I think is even more remarkable. I truly do. Um, and I just think he's growing as a player. That To me, I, I've been lucky. I've been very fortunate. I've seen him from the start of his career till now. So I've got to see him develop and change some things in his game that you know, I don't think he gets enough credit for that. I don't think he gets enough credit for the fact that he, at each and every year he has gotten better. He, he has developed some aspect of his game. He's worked on an aspect of his game to make sure that he can bring that to the table the next year and be better at that. And that's what makes him the, the best player in the game is the fact that he's always evolving. He's always looking at ways that he can improve not only his own game, but how he can do things to help his line mates and teammates um, there's a maturity to his game now. And that's the most impressive thing for me is the way he can shrug off 220 pound defense with one arm. You don't push him around too often. He's very strong on the puck and uh, everyone thinks he's a rush player. Everyone thinks he's going to score a breakaway goal or off the rush, but try and contain him down low on a cycle. If you talk to NHL defensemen, they'll let you know very quickly that he's a nightmare to try and to try and tackle in the offensive zone, um, defensive zone for them, because he can spin so fast. He's so strong on his edges. He really has rounded out his game in that regard. I know he's always working on the defensive aspect, using that speed to come back and provide that pressure from behind to allow his defense to stand up on entries. I mean, he's the whole package. He really is. And, uh, I just think he feels it more now. I think if I had to say the one thing, the confidence for him, we think the best player in the game and you expect him to be the most confident individual on the planet. But I think nobody's expectation of Connor is higher than his own. He, each and every day he's striving to be better um, and he might never be satisfied until he's won at least one championship, if not more. But that's what drives the best players in the game. And McDavid is no different. He drives himself every day. And by that, he's driving his team. Do you feel that he's become more comfortable in his skin, in those expectations, in 100%. Who, who he is and who he needs to be? Yeah, yeah. you've nailed, that hit the nail right in the head. And when I say matured, that's kind of what I'm talking about. I see a calmness in him. There's a lot there, – there, I think it's really hard to put because there's only a few players that can really understand the expectation, the weight, the gravity that's been put on him to have success in the league and to really guide this franchise – um, to win because that's really what he's judged by right in his eyes that's kind of what it is it's not about the 50 goal season although that's going to be incredible for him and he is going to get that um, I believe this year he's got 40 already I don't see why he's not going to have 50 even 60 goals um, um, another 100 point season you know tacking on will be his six should be seven he had 97 points in a shortened season the lockout should have been six consecutive 100 point seasons these kind of things these accolades Although we look at them and they're, they're amazing numbers. They're incredible numbers. And I mean, for, for most people, that would just be a feather in the cap and it's amazing. I really don't think he looks at it that way. I, I just think this is what he does. He, he strives to be the best he can possibly be. Um, but I don't think up until the last couple of years, and that's why I think your, your comment was bang on in the sense that he's comfortable with being the best player in the game. He's completely comfortable with knowing that he is the best player in the game. He's the face of the NHL. And there's something that comes along with that. That maturity is, um, is powerful. It's powerful because it allows him. And, and again, I don't think he really in his mind uh, gives, cuts himself too many breaks, but allows him to go out there and just play the game. It allows him to have the confidence that what he's doing is the right thing he's doing. And it really shows with the way he's dragged people into the fight this year. Um, he's done it his entire career, but I've just really noticed that the highs and lows aren't there with him. He's pretty consistent throughout his performance. He understands when he needs to dig a little bit deeper and you're starting to see him get more comfortable in front of the media as well. And I think that all comes with it. When, when you feel it and you understand, um, what you are, your legacy, uh, and that's really what it is for Connor. It's his legacy. And we're going to watch this throughout the course of his entire career, but, uh, he is more comfortable with it and it's good to see. Yeah, he talked about that before the season, actually, with us about a comfort level that he has. So it's in, we yeah. are seeing that, I think, now. Because he's really a kid, right? And I have yeah. a kid the same age. So I understand the progression of coming into the league. We expect him, because he's the best player in the game, to be different than everybody mm -hmm. else. Well, they're not always different. They, they, they're, they're, he's still a young man now. He's just developing into that maturity, understanding the pressures that come along with it. And uh, 
Yeah, you know, I, I can't imagine it. I've, I've had a little bit of a conversation with about it, and I know Wayne Gretzky and the great players of the game, game sorry, have all felt this. And my biggest, uh, you know, compliment to them is how impressive they are being able to handle the weight of that. I, I just don't think people give all of them, but especially Connor right now, and the stars of the game, um, the pressure they have to deal with greater than everybody else on their team. Um, and I look at the guys that I played with throughout my career and some of the great players in the game, then, you know, that, the that microscope telescope is always on them. They, you know, they're, uh, they're magnified as far as their expectations and they live up to it, which I think is the most impressive thing of the great players of the game. Well, you mentioned you have a kid the same age. So I wanted to ask you quickly about him. How is he doing? Uh, but more important, good. good. Yeah. That's good. He's, he's yeah. skating again, right? Yeah, you know what? It sucks being injured, right? I mean, yeah. he hates it. Um, the team's rolling along, though, which I think makes it a little bit – well, it makes it easier, but it also <laughs> makes you want to be back in the mix yeah. even that much more when your team's doing well. I think anytime you're injured, um, it's never a good thing. Whether they're losing or winning, you always want to be a part of it. You want to be in the mix. I think the team's done a great job of keeping him in the mix. He was on TV the other day with Jack and Brick, and I thought there he did go. a great job. He did a little bit of uh, – <laughs> analysis for uh, the second period in a game and uh, it was David Krejci's a thousandth game 1000th game and I know he's played a lot with David Krejci over his career so he has a ton of respect for him and um, was very happy to be up there and talk about Krejci in, in, in that situation but uh, you know listen that team is a real tight-knit group it's a very mature group even their young players are a little bit older now that have gone through years in the National Hockey League have gone through grueling playoff series and Stanley Cup final um, that that chunk of guys that are still there from that 19 loss to the St. Louis Blues that stays with you and I think there's just a, a real even keel to the team this year they're playing for one another which uh, I haven't seen a, a close-knit team like this for a long long time where it's uh, next man up. Everybody's happy when guys are doing well and everybody is doing well because of that. They're just really feeding off of one another, but thanks for asking. He's doing all right. He's uh, he's on the mend and uh, knowing him, he'll probably find a way to get back in the lineup quicker than what everybody expects. <laughs> well, I have a two porter related to that. The first part is, is he now planning to gun for your post playing career legacy as an announcer? And two, what was it like on, on not New Year's Day, but the day after New Year's Day to see him take over the biggest stage in the NHL. Yeah, you know, he was really gunning for that. I um he was really excited to, to have an impact in that outdoor game. It's a special moment, all those outdoor games. And I know he really gets geared up for them. And he should. I mean, those are those are big moments in the season you look forward to, especially being at home for them. That's the first one that he's played in. He's played in three, and that's the first one at home at Fenway. So everybody wants to have an impact in those games. So the fact that he did, I mean, it was, uh, it was great to see. I was really excited for him. I was pumped um, the whole, the whole weekend around it and the build up to it. I know that it was uh, really special for him and um, yeah, you know what? Uh, that's all part of it, right? That's all part of the next, uh, the next step for a lot of players. Um, my son included, he wants to be more, you know, that's kind of his goal and his philosophy going into the season is that he's been around a little while here now and he wants to be a leader and he wants to lead by example and be one of those guys that's pulling hard in that rope with everybody else. Everybody wants to be a part of it. And I think, again, that's the special thing about the Bruins this year. If I had to really put the number one thing is that they do have everybody pulling on that rope each and every night. So it's not always pretty. Um, I think their game allows them to kind of settle in and play a stingy game where maybe even if they're not firing at all cylinders, they're still very hard to score against. They're getting great goaltending this year from both their goaltenders. Um, yeah, things are going great, but Jake's happy to be a part of it. And for me, I was very uh, proud to see him uh, step up. And especially now knowing the circumstances, uh, yeah. being injured in that game and playing through those injuries, uh, pretty impressive. But I've seen that before from him. I, I did see the shot that he took before he scored his first goal, and I knew it stunned him. I didn't know that his leg was fractured, but I knew that I knew that it stunned him. But it's a, adrenaline's a wonderful thing when uh, when it kicks in and allows you to keep playing. But that's why hockey's the greatest game. Guys go out there each and every night, and he's got one of the best guys that's leading him in that regard, uh, Patrice Bergeron. I don't know if he's ever played a game in the NHL where he's fully healthy. To be honest <laughs> with you, he's always dealing with something because he plays a really hard game and uh, it's about the preparation about getting ready to play. And you know what, he's been taught by some of the greatest is Daniel Charu who no longer is on the team, but 
I mean, those first few years for him under Zdeno Chara too, watching how he went to the rink every single day were just so instrumental in his career. Those that that rubs off on you. I remember my first years too. I always remember the veteran players and how they, um, you know, conducted themselves and how they came to the rink, and that just rubs off on you. That's why guys are called leaders because they make other people around them better. Yeah, I was just thinking about this. How lucky are you? Right. I mean, you get to watch Connor McDavid on a nightly basis. He's having a historic, yeah. well, not historic, but he, he for the modern era, it's a historic season. And you get calls from your son who's on a team that's having a historic season. It's pretty good to be yeah. here right now. Yeah. You know what? It's impressive. I, uh, I didn't see it coming for the Bruins. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I thought there was going to be some growing pains this year just because of the injuries they had at the start of the line. They had key players out of the line. Marshawn, McAvoy. Mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't know if Bergeron was going to start the season. Krejci coming back after missing a year. Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, how is this all going to piece together? But they, again, they just came together. we were able to weather that front and get healthy. And now they're dealing with a few more injuries, but it's just next man up there. It's impressive how they've been able to just keep going along. I think Jim Montgomery, Montgomery stepping in there has just been a breath of fresh air for them. And you know what, they've really, uh, they've exceeded my expectations. I think from early in the season, I didn't know how long it was going to go for, but it continues to go. We kind of chuckle about it every night. We still watch the games, even though he's not playing just to kind of keep an eye and know what's going on with the team. But yeah, I I, uh, I I feel very fortunate to answer your question. I you know I, I kind of pinch myself all the time that I get to watch this team on a nightly basis, um, and we talk about that. Believe it or not, that's something Jack Michaels and I talk about on a regular basis. That you know we have to make sure that we're not undermining things that are happening on the ice because we've seen it so much. I mean, we've seen all of these great highlight reel goals from a number of players, but if we're in particular talking about Connor and Leon, the way they've been leading the charge here for this team, um, it's, it's kind of a nightly thing, but we've gotten to a point now that we're like, yeah, we need to talk about this. We're not going to just stop talking about this because it's happening all the time. That's what makes it even more impressive is that you're waiting for the next one. You're like, okay, when when is the time that he's going to do something amazingly special again? And the same with a bunch of players on this team when they step up and do it. So, yeah, I'm in, I'm in a good position here. I'm not complaining, that's for sure. Get to cover the best player in the game, and I've got a kid on the best team in hockey right now. Well, it's a good life for you, as we said. We appreciate you taking a few minutes out of it to join us and, and give us some insight into the Oilers and your son and, and everything else. And uh, friend of the show, we're glad you could join us again, and good luck with the rest of the season. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Good stuff there from Louis DeBrusque. Uh, Sean, the Oilers are rolling right now. Uh, they're hot, and uh, they're climbing in the Pacific Division. Team that is at the top of the Pacific Division, so they can't climb. But I don't know how long they're going to be there. It's the Vegas Golden Knights. And you and I both saw them Tuesday night. We talked about the Devils at the top of the show. They played Vegas. Vegas lost again. Vegas is one, four and one in its past six games. If you look at their schedule, Sean, they were 16, four and one on November 23rd, played 21 games. They won 16 of them since then, 13, 13 and two. So which team are they? Well, I think they're closer to the 13, 13 and two. And I think you saw it against the devils, right? They scored two goals. Um, and they were lucky to get the second one. It was kind of a, you know, a save and then punched in while it sat on the line. Like they didn't show a lot of who they, who they were and who, who they should be, which is this dynamic attacking team, right? Like uh, to me, it was kind of, we're going to try and hold on here at two to one and, and survive. And look, there's injuries for sure. Um, you know, that, that they have to deal with. Um, but they just, they don't have that game breaker, right? They don't have that player who's going to carry them over the top. You know, Eichel isn't doing it right now. Stone's been injured on and off. Um, Chandler Stevenson's their their most dynamic player. Um, I just find it hard to believe with the way that they're presently constructed um, that they're an elite team in the West. Like, are they going to grind out four rounds of playoffs? I don't know that that's going to happen. But what I do know is if they are the 13-13-2 team, the team that we saw last night in Newark will not be the team we see at the trade deadline. Well, that's going to be the interesting. that, And that's that's the elephant in the room. Like That's what we don't know, right? I mean, we, we, we don't know how big that could be for them. But I'll ask 
flat out. I mean, at 13, 13 and two, you know, in their last 28 games, they are at the top of the Pacific division right now. As we talk today, Wednesday, they have 61 points in 49 games. They have one more point in the Los Angeles Kings in one fewer game. But Sean, I think it's a fair question. Are the Vegas Golden Knights going to make the playoffs? And, and it sounds crazy. And I understand it sounds crazy, but think about it. If they can't get out of this middling play that they've had in, the, in a long stretch of time, the Kings have been pretty solid. Seattle's been pretty solid. Edmonton's coming. Calgary's coming. And Minnesota, which is now not in the playoff situation right now, they're, they're a point out uh, in both the second from both the second wild card and third in the central at this point. They got some games in hand. They're in a slump right now, but they can break out. Nashville's been playing better. Like, it sounds crazy because I'm talking about a first-place team, but, Sean, I don't think it's unreasonable to ask that question because Vegas has been a 500 team for a long time now. Yeah, no, I don't think it's crazy to ask it either. Like, that's the reality of the NHL. If you take your foot off the gas, you're in trouble, and, and, and Vegas, you know, slammed their foot down and they got off the line and, and off they went and they started to put distance from everybody else. And now all those teams are coming back and, and, and chasing them down. I mean, I mean, look, you're right. Like Minnesota's done the same thing, right? Minnesota's played really well. And then they've had like a two week hiccup and now all of a sudden they're out of the playoffs and you were like, Oh, well I'll pencil Minnesota in to be one of the eight teams. I mean, you, you can't do that anymore. You know, Soros is getting really hot for Nashville and he he can make things happen, um, you know, relatively quickly for them. Uh, they're a little like Vegas and that they can't score and that's somewhat problematic. Um, but I mean, there's, there's, it's going to be musical chairs and there's going to be some teams that are, we think are really good that are going to be standing around when the song ends and not have a place to sit. Yeah. And you know, you think about it as the, uh, I, as the year goes on, it becomes harder to score. Defense becomes more bet. You know, these teams just are playing harder defensively. They're locking it down a little bit more. Now, a team like Nashville is built to win a two to one game. They won a lot of them, right? With Soros and net Vegas, it's not necessarily built to win a two to one game, right? I mean, the, can they? Sure, they can, but they're not necessarily built that way. So it'll be interesting. I mean, that the that Pacific Division right now could get five teams, could get three, right? I mean, that's a that's the way it goes right now in, in the West. Um, Wanted to do all-star stuff, but quickly before we get to all-star, a guy who's not going to be at all-star weekend wasn't, you know, at least not selected to be there. Steven Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov is going, Andre Vasilevsky is going, and, and both obviously very deserving candidates. But, Sean, we got to give a little credit here, a little love here to Steven Stamkos. He scored the 500th goal in a hat-trick game against Vancouver. He's got a goal in every game since, as we record today, you know, on Wednesday. Uh, this guy's got 24 goals. He's got 55 points this season. He had 106 points last season. And I, I just wonder... And you could do this with a lot of players. Sidney Crosby is the first one that comes to mind. But had he not dealt with all the injuries, would we be talking about 600 goals for Steven Stamkos? He's got 505, and he's missed. I mean, you think about it. He had the leg injury. He had the knee injury. He had he missed 65 games in 2016-17. He missed 45 games in 2013-14. He also had the core muscle injury. That cost him 13 games in uh, 1920. He missed a bunch of games in the the COVID season of 2021 too. I mean, he's he's missed like just in those seasons. It's 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 over 140 games. You know, I mean, I, I everybody gets hurt, and I get that. And you can't really play this game because injuries are part of the game. But man, if he had, didn't have that freak break his leg injury, you know, like would we be talking about 600 right now for Stamkos? I think we would be, Sean. Yeah, of course we would, just like we'd be talking about Ovi being so much closer to Gretzky. Oh, but he hasn't missed a lot of games, though. Yeah, but he, he missed the lockout year. He he those missed, those so, are so did Stamkos. Yeah, no, I yeah. I understand that, but I, I you're right. It is a what if game. I mean, things happen in life, and it's how you deal with them. And durability is a value. Um, you know, you never blame a player for getting hurt, but there is there is tangible value in being durable. But the thing that's always struck me. Uh, uh, about Stamkos and the NHL has a lot of quiet superstars. There's there's not a lot of boisterous superstars in the NHL. There's not a lot of guys that say, hey, look at me. Stamkos might be one of the quietest, right? Like he's just that guy who 
goes along and scores 50 goals and 100 points and you know he's one of the is he is he not the last guy to score 60 is or no, have Matthews I, did it last oh, that's right Matt he beat yeah. Matthews beat him last year um but before that he was the last guy to do it and if you asked anybody they'd be like oh Crosby Ovechkin whatever like he just quietly goes along and does what he does and you know he's in a good market but it's not a prevalent market. Could you imagine if he if he was playing in Toronto, like ah. as popular as Austin Matthew is? Steven Stamkos would be that much more popular because he's from there, yeah. right? And and you know, you look at it and you're just like, man, he is a super super superstar, but he's he's not treated as one because of a variety of reasons: the time he's missed, the the the, the fact that he's of surrounded by other superstars in his, in his market on his team, you know, between Kucherov, Vasilevsky, Hedman, like these are all generational players. So it kind of gets diffused a little bit. And then, you know, you get on the national stage and, and I don't think he's ever been recognized for the, the quality player that he is. Well, he, he couldn't, right. I mean, you know, like he was an all, he was an Olympian. He would have been in Sochi. He would have been, there's no question about it in 2014, but you know, he got hurt. Uh, you know, he, he broke that, broke his leg in Boston. Remember, I mean, 2010, he wasn't quite ready. He was a 51 goal scorer in 2010. Wasn't quite ready, apparently, according to, you know, Hockey Canada. And then there was no Olympics in 2018 or for NHL players or 2022. So uh, 600 goals is what we would be talking about with him without these injuries. But you're right. He's a quiet superstar. He's one, he's one, he's also a, a, an underrated, uh, quiet leader. And I don't know that underrated is the right word, quiet, because we hear so much of leadership when we hear of like Patrice Bergeron and Sidney Crosby. And Stamkos is right up with those guys. Like he's right there with those guys. And you ask anybody in that lightning dress room, he he and Hedman own that room and they've owned it for a very, very long time. So uh, he's not going to be at All-Star Weekend, though, Sean. We will. Kucherov will be. Vasilevsky will be. And uh, we will be recording from all-star weekend as well. We'll tell you about that in a second here, but we did a thing, Sean. I wasn't a part of it. Uh, were you a part of it? The lines? Uh, no, no, I wasn't right? a part of it. All right. So neither one of us were a part of this, but it was a cool little exercise. We we've done it every year. I think on NHL.com. Like if you were to create lines for the three on three all-star teams, right. Uh, for each division, what would they look like? And I, I looked at some of the lines that we had uh, posted up on NHL.com and you can still find them there. And I created a little bit of my own. Um, so I'll give you the Metropolitan for what I have. All right. Ovechkin, Crosby, Svechnikov, top line. Why? I, I have no idea. I just like to see Ovechkin and Svechnikov play on the top, top line. And it makes perfect sense to have Ovechkin and Crosby there as well. Panarin, Hughes, Johnny Gaudreau. Lord help them if the puck goes in the defensive end. Right. But how dynamic is that? Uh, you know what? That's not fair. Why? Because Jack Hughes is not a bad defensive no, player. No, they're not. He's, none of them are bad defensive players. Come on. I mean, it's just they're, they're otherworldly offensive and skilled players. I mean, like, that's that's my point. Like, I was just kind of – I said that to emphasize their offense. How about that? Okay. All right. And then I got uh, Kevin Hayes, Brock Nelson, Adam Fox. He's the only defenseman on the Metro team. So I actually think that Adam Fox should be getting time with all of these. Just play him the whole game. Just play him the whole time. I'm sure Gerard Gallant and the Rangers would be thrilled with that. Yeah, well, he could handle it. He could. He could absolutely handle it. Uh, and those are fine lines. The only one that I really want to see, because when we talked about this, I thought we were doing one line and not the whole team over again. So uh, I would put Hughes with Ovechkin and, and Crosby. Oh, well, if we're doing one line, I would do the same. Yeah. Like it, the the present and the future, right? Like. I, I think it would be amazing. And I think those guys would love to play with Jack Hughes and, and, and just find him to be contagious. But if, if we did it your way and we had Svechnikov and Ovechkin, maybe they, they could fight over the puck. <laughs> that is the president of the future, president of future too. If you look at it in that way as well, you know, I, mean, yeah. I talked to, I remember having a conversation with Rod Brindamore recently. And I asked him, who's the best player to ever play for the Carolina hurricanes. And he goes, mm, well, it's going to be Svech, right? It's going to be. And he's probably right. He's taking himself out of the equation. I He's guess, taking and, himself out. And, and Ron Francis, um, uh, pretty good players, Hall of Famers. But maybe talent-wise, Fetch, 
I, I don't know that he'll ever be the face of the franchise like French, like like Francis and and especially Brenda Moore are. No, probably not. All right, let's move on. Atlantic. So let what if let, we'll do one line, like you said, right? So you had your one line for Ovechkin, Crosby, Hughes. If you take a look at the Atlantic, one line. First off, Matthew Kachuk and Brady Kachuk have to be on it, right? I mean that it, according at least to me, they have to be on it. And then Kucherov. So you don't have a center really, but Kucherov's skill with the Kachuk brothers that could be a lot of fun. Of course, I mean Brady and Matthew are gonna are gonna be together the whole weekend. We we experienced that during Player Media Tour. Um, early in the year, which seems like yesterday, the season's going by so fast. I think I'd put Austin Matthews between them. And, how and dare you? How dare I what? <laughs> I'm kidding. It'd be a perfect fit too. Yeah. You got the whole American line. Like that's the number one line right there. Right. For the next international tournament, whenever it is, um, give it a little test ride. Yeah. All right. I could see that. I could see that. What about the central? Um, this By the way, you said yeah. that there was only one defenseman in the Metro. There's none. Zero. In the Atlantic. None in the Atlantic. They're going to play wide open. The poor, well, goal, poor Linus Allmark and Andre Vasilevsky are just going to be under siege. No, these are going to come on. Suzuki's a good defense. defense. Marner's going to play defense. Remember, he was going to play defense for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Why not have him play defense for the Atlantic Division then? Sure. <laughs> All right, let's do Central. You got the three avalanche players. You could easily make that a line, but that doesn't seem as fun, right? You got to mix and match here a little bit. So what if we went Kaprizov, McKinnon, Robertson? That's great. I I love the Kaprizov and Robertson, the one, two, and the call. They're together. Um, and then you could put whoever you want in the, with them, right? Like uh, my thought was Miko Rantanen just because of the year that he's having and, and make that the number one line. Um but uh, you could certainly do McKinnon. I think they would be over the moon for that to happen. Um, and certainly the fans would be. Um, you know, there's a abundance of defensemen on the central, though. Yeah, three of them. Seth so Jones, Morrissey, and, and Kel McCarr. So if you made that line, you'd have to have two defensemen on another line. I think all three defensemen should play on a line together. That would be awesome. Yeah. McCarr is the center. Just he, driving. He could do that. Yeah. Why not? He could do it. All right. Last one before we get out of here. Pacific. Um, this one, I mean, you could easily just go dry sidle and McDavid together, but that, that makes almost too much sense. And, and we see that a lot. So I want to see Kadri, McDavid and Carlson. Okay. I would do McDavid, uh, Patterson and Troy Terry. That's a lot of skill. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of skill there. A lot of creativity. Uh, the the plays that would be made, I think, would just be jaw-dropping. Jaw I mean, a lot of stuff that happens at All-Star is jaw-dropping just because of the skill level. But the creativity that those three players possess. Like, could you imagine what Troy Terry would try to do with those two other players? This is why Trevor Zegers should be an All-Star, by the way. Because what would he try to do? True enough. <laughs> um, they should just make the teams bigger. No, well, no. But anyway, you know what? A line, if you quickly look at it from the Pacific, if you put it together, it would be very underrated, but loaded with skill, goal scoring ability, young talent. Fiala, Horvat, Beneers. Like, I could see that any one of those players coming out of nowhere and kind of being like the MVP of all-star week, you know, of, of the all-star game, because they're all terrific talents in their own right. Um, Beneers has been unreal for Seattle. A huge reason why the Seattle Kraken are where they are is Matty Beneers. He's really taken off this season, his rookie season. Fiala fits with the LA Kings. He knows, you know, and Horvat is, we talked about him before. I mean, he's having his best season and he just played 24 minutes for the Canucks, but he could put those three together. It would be a lot of fun too. But none of them are, you know, you're not talking about, even though they're all stars, they're not the star power of McDavid or Dreisaitl or, or, or Carlson or even a Patterson, right? No, and I, you know what? I went on my diatribe earlier about coaches and how you can't coach in the NHL, even though everybody says, oh, I could coach that team. Oh, geez. You know what? You could coach this team. You could coach any of these teams. You could just sit there and laugh for hours at end and just be like, now you go with you. Like I would have so much fun. Nobody would play together 
more than once ever. It would be like the craziest blender a coach has ever done. Like you said, I would do the three defensemen as a line and just be like, ha, this is going to be funny. Like the players love it. It's the simplest thing to do. Maybe you don't do it in the championship game because there's a million dollars on the line. But before that, I would have a blast. I would I would literally go and canvas the players and be like, who would you like to play with? Is there somebody that you won't play with? And then I would just go absolutely nuts. Yeah. No, it would be fun. It will be. It'll be a good time. It'll be a good. Well, you're going to be on the bench, Dan. Maybe you can. Well, just for skills, not for the games. Well, while you're there, you can just give some suggestions, whisper in some ears. Maybe I will. Maybe I will. I think I think I will. How about that? I'll talk to Bruce Cassidy about what he could do. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll talk to a few guys about what they could do. Anyway, uh, this was fun, Sean. So next week we are going to be recording from All-Star Weekend. We'll be down there. Beach Fest at Fort Lauderdale Beach Park. Uh, it's a free event. We will be recording there February 3rd. That's Friday from noon to 3. So stop by. It's a free event. We'll be by the entrance and we'll have some alumni on. And we're, we're gathering a guest list as we speak. Uh, but, you know. A lot of hockey still to be played before then, Sean. So uh, teams are, are gearing up for a, a, some will get about an eight or nine day break. But uh, there's some some games still. And obviously, it's very important stuff going on right now in the league. Yeah, a little lull before the, the stretch drive where once we get done with All-Star, we'll be a month out from trade deadline um, and things will start to get interesting. But I have full faith in our producer, Bob Bender, that he is going to get us an extraordinary list of, of guests for our for our show uh maybe some friends from nhl.com might stop by listeners you should stop by say hello to dan i i know he's the star of this whole thing so make sure you say hello to dan he's going to be in his best beach finery by the way um so that should draw you out just for that alone um regardless of the content on the on the podcast which is going to be top notch as well all right i got nothing to add to that thanks for listening enjoy the hockey